Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee faithfully served the Lord for more than seven decades, co-laboring with Watchman Nee in China in the first half of the 20th century, before continuing his ministry in Taiwan, later in America, and eventually over the entire earth. He spoke these weekly Life Study messages before thousands of people, and much of his speaking has been published as over 400 titles. These life studies are perhaps his most significant work, taking 21 years for him to complete, and we're happy today to be able to bring you selected portions from those messages. If you'd like to find out more about his ministry, about the life studies themselves, and Living Stream Ministry, please visit our website, lsm.org. Now let's join today's program. In Acts 21 through 23, the Apostle Paul finds himself surrounded by men seeking to do away with him. Given the chance to speak on his own behalf, though, he boldly declares the very truth that has provoked his enemies. God sovereignly intervenes to protect and secure his chosen one for the work that was still before him. Stay with us today as we see our faithful Lord and his chosen vessel laboring together for the testimony of the all-surpassing Christ, on this Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry and based on the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Today, once again, we're in the book of Acts and the 1984 Life Study of Acts given by Witness Lee. We will have recorded portions of his ministry as well as some discussion and fellowship of these main points. And for that purpose, Ed Marks is with us today to be a part of this broadcast once again. Ed, we're very happy that you could join us as always. Thanks for coming by. Yes, Chris, I'm really happy to be back for this particular broadcast. I think we'll see something marvelous concerning the Apostle Paul's pattern to us as believers and how we need to follow this pattern by following the Lord inwardly so that we could live Christ and magnify Christ the way Paul did. Yeah, this is another portion of the book of Acts that uh, I think reads like an engaging novel in a lot of ways. There's suspense and cleverness and plots for murder and uh, all kinds of things. But beyond these superficial components, there's a rich and very meaningful view of how the Lord is always working for his plan, isn't there? Yes, Chris, you're right. Uh, this this is not merely a historical record. Uh, I mean, the story, like you said, is very exciting, full of plots and subplots. But what we see intrinsically is how Paul lived Christ and magnified Christ in the midst of all kinds of opposing factors, in the midst of a hard, uh, very difficult environmental situation. And we need to follow Paul's pattern to live and magnify Christ in any kind of environment, under any kind of opposition, and in any kind of circumstance. Well, Ed, touching this portion, we can't help but hit these uh, more superficial things, and certainly we will, but we really want to focus on the element that you've discussed and mentioned, and that is the pattern that we see from the Apostle. Let's join Witness Lee with the first portion of our life study today. From verse 30 of chapter 22, after the commander of the Roman army rescued uh, Paul out of the hand of the plotting Jews, the commander gave Paul a chance to defend himself in front of the Jewish authority 
By that time, that was a composition of the high priests and the scribes and elders. Paul, standing before them, gave his defense. He declared that he has conducted himself in all good conscience before God. Then he uh, saw the situation that part were Sadducees, part were Pharisees, and it was good. He had a kind of status that he was a Pharisee, and knowing that the Pharisees would not tolerate with the Sadducees because they don't believe in resurrection, they don't believe their angels, they were spirit and so forth, Paul was wise to take the advantage of this kind of situation. He shouted, I'm judged here just because I'm a Pharisee believing in resurrection in spirit and in the angels. So all the Pharisees sympathized with him. They took side with him. And all the Sadducees got offended. So they began to fight. The apostle Paul was really wise. He used everything that is in his profit. He threw up a fighting among them by telling them that he was a typical Pharisee. And in chapter 22, Paul makes his defense before the rioting crowd that's outside the temple. Uh, then the Roman soldiers intervene and likely save his life. He's given another chance then to make his defense, this time before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. And in this defense, he begins by stressing that in all things he has conducted himself in a good conscience. This is very practical. All believers need to see this point. What is it to conduct ourselves in a good conscience before God? Well, Chris, this is a lesson in life. Chris, to answer your question, I would like to read a footnote from the recovery version of the Bible. I'd like to take this opportunity to recommend this study Bible to all of our listeners. To me personally, this is the greatest help to me in studying the Bible. Of course, the notes in a study Bible, such as this, they don't replace the Bible, but they open up the Bible and release the unsearchable, intrinsic riches of Christ that can be found in the Bible. Let me read you this note on Acts 23.1, verse 1 from the Recovery Version, where Paul says, he testifies, I have conducted myself in all good conscience before God until this day. The note says this, after man's fall and his being sent out of the Garden of Eden, God in his dispensation wanted man to be responsible to his own conscience. But man failed to live and walk according to his conscience and fell further into wickedness. After the judgment of the flood, God ordained that man should be under human government. Man failed in this also. Then, before fulfilling his promise to Abraham concerning the blessing of the nations in his seed, Christ, God put man under the test of the law. Man failed this test utterly. All these failures indicate that man has fallen from God to his conscience, from his conscience to human government, and from human government to lawlessness. That is, man has fallen to the uttermost. Hence, to conduct oneself in all good conscience before God, as Paul did, was a great return to God from man's fall. 
So this note is marvelous. What we see here is Paul is shining out and outraying the glorious Christ in the midst of opposers who do not take care of their conscience, who are not turned to God. This, this is quite a contrast between Paul and the opposing ones. In Acts twenty four sixteen, Paul testifies. He says, I always exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. We believers need to exercise in this way so that we can return from man's fallen condition to the uttermost, returning back to God himself as the governor of our conscience. Ed, it's interesting. These ones opposing and even threatening Paul, for the most part, thought that they were serving God, or at least did it under that pretense. Yet there could not have been any kind of uh, interaction with their conscience to allow them to do the things that they did, the slander, accusing him of apostasy. So even in the so-called service to God, the leading of the conscience can be easily overlooked. Exactly, Chris. And You know, at this point, I would just like to fellowship something, you know, As believers, we must cooperate with the Lord to take care of our conscience. In the recovery version of the Bible and also in the Schofield Study Bible, both Schofield and Brother Lee point out that actually man is a tripartite being. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 tells us this. And both Schofield and Brother Lee in the recovery version point out that our body possesses world consciousness. We contact the physical world with our body. Our soul, composed of our mind, emotion, and will, possesses self-consciousness, where we can contact the things of the psychological realm. But our spirit is an organ that possesses God consciousness. We contact God with our spirit. We receive God with our spirit. We contain God in our spirit. And the leading part of our spirit is our conscience. Even I would say this, our conscience is the window of our spirit. The Lord as the spirit lives in our spirit. We need to keep the window of our conscience clean so that he can shine out from our conscience into our soul so that we can magnify him in our body. Now, how do we take care of our conscience? Well, 1 John 1, verses 7 and 9 tell us this. In 1 John 1, 7, it says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from every sin. So the blood of Jesus, I would say, is like heavenly divine Windex. It cleanses away the dirt on the window of our conscience so that the light of God, which is Christ himself in our spirit, can shine through the window of our conscience into our soul and out from our whole being so that the light of Christ can shine through us and Christ can be expressed in us to all the people around us. And 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So day by day as believers, we need to practice confessing our sins. We need to keep short accounts with God. When we confess our sins, right away the blood cleanses us from sin. So in the morning when we have a time with the Lord, The Lord will convict us and shine on us. He'll say, Ed, 
look, your attitude toward your wife wasn't proper. And I say, Lord, forgive me for my attitude toward my wife. He cleanses my conscience in his blood. We need to confess in the morning. We need to confess throughout the day. Then our conscience is kept clean and pure, and God in Christ as the Spirit can shine out through our being as the divine light so that we can live Christ and magnify Christ to everyone around us. Ed, this is marvelous and practical fellowship and most appropriate and applicable for everyone in this age and any age that really desires to follow and touch and love the Lord Jesus. Ed, in this coming session, we're going to see Paul in the midst of all of this turmoil and these many things unfolding, but the Lord comes to him in a very tender and precious and intimate way. Let's join Witness Lee. The commander, due to his duty, was afraid that Paul might be torn to pieces. So he sent the soldiers to rescue him out of the hand of the Jews by force. Then the Jews was furious in hating Paul. And I do believe more than 40, all of them should be young men. They had now a vow, a vow of the curse, saying, if we don't kill this man Paul, we will not eat and drink. That means we would die. And this was divulged by Paul's nephew to the commander. This is something sovereign of the Lord. You know, before this thing happened, right at the time of that uproar between the Pharisees, Sadducees, and so forth, in the night, the Lord came to Paul. Here, in verse 11, chapter 23, but the following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, Take courage. Uh, be encouraged. For as you have solemnly testified concerning me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. This gives Paul the assurance that the Lord will bring him safely from Jerusalem to Rome. So this word is a kind of strengthening word. Paul got the courage and he got the strengthening and he got the assurance, even the clear word out of the mouth of the Lord that he would be there in Rome to bear the testimony of the Lord Jesus. And in this section, the Lord stood by Paul and told him that he would bear the Lord's testimony in Rome. Share with us the significance of what it is to bear the Lord's testimony. Yes, Chris, this brings us to Acts 23, verse 11. And this verse says, In the night following, the Lord stood by Paul and said to him, Take courage, Paul, for as you have solemnly testified to the things concerning me in Jerusalem, so also you must testify in Rome. Now, now, the question that you asked is, what is the significance of bearing the Lord's testimony? We need to go back to Acts 1.8, where the Lord tells the believers, the apostles and all the believers, you shall be my witnesses to the whole inhabited earth. Well, this word for witnesses is actually the Greek word for martyrs. 
to be a witness, to bear the Lord's testimony, is not to be a preacher trained by man's teaching, to do a preaching work, but it's to be a martyr. A martyr is someone who bears a living testimony of the resurrected and ascended Christ in life. And we need to realize that all of us believers, we need to be martyrs. We need to live a martyr's life. Now, we may not be martyred physically like many of the faithful Christians throughout the centuries have been, but we need to live the life of a martyr. This means that we live a life of denying ourselves. The Lord says, if anyone wants to follow me, he has to take up his cross. He has to deny himself and he has to follow me. So every day we have to live a life of rejecting ourselves, of rejecting our natural life, denying ourselves, and living by another life, living by Christ as life within us so that we can live and magnify Christ. Another thing, Chris, that I would like to mention, the significance of being a martyr, back in Acts 22, verses 14 and 15, uh, you know, Ananias, who was sent to Paul, he tells Paul, he says, the God of our fathers has previously appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness to him unto all men of the things which you have seen and heard. A witness is one who sees Christ, who hears Christ, and who speaks Christ. And we want to see Christ in a new, fresh way every day. We want to hear Christ. We want him to speak a fresh, living word to us personally from the Bible. So we need to see him, we need to hear him, and then we need to speak what we've seen and heard. This is the significance of being a witness to bear the living testimony of Christ to all the unbelieving nations around us. Ed, this was a testimony of the Lord and a testimony as we're going to see in this coming section of his economy. Let's rejoin Witness Lee for our last fellowship today. The Jews plotted to kill him. Within 24 hours, more than 40 men didn't eat. And they formed themselves a kind of ambush, hiding in certain place where Paul would be through that place, then they would just kill him. But this was reported secretly to the commander. And the commander exercised his authority and wisdom to send Paul from Jerusalem down to Caesarea, where the governor of the province of Judea was. This commander exercised his authority to such extent, he used 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen of the Roman army to protect such a small man. Paul was not riding on a horse. He was riding probably on a donkey, which is indicated by the word mount. You know, the commander ordered to prepare the army, and also the mount that refers to beasts for riding. They mounted Paul on a donkey because he was not a commander-in-chief. But you have 70 horsemen riding on horses. 
protecting a small man riding a donkey. The commander was clever. They thought the next day the commander would answer the sanctioned uh, proposal to send Paul, then on the way they would kill Paul. But they didn't know early in the night commander sent Paul away from Jerusalem. So the next morning, the 400 were ordered to go back. Only 70 horsemen were still there escorting this little man on the donkey. That should be good view of a parade of 70 horsemen protecting one little man. And I do believe this little man should be right in the middle of the 70 horsemen. By this, you can see the Lord's sovereignty. I think Paul could never afford to pay <laughs> for 470 soldiers to escort him from Jerusalem down to Caesarea. Brother Ed, to me, the outstanding feature of this last section is how marvelously the Lord exercised his sovereignty to protect his chosen one. The Lord is very motivated to guard this testimony of his economy, isn't he? Yes, Chris. Paul was was a vessel. He was a chosen vessel of the Lord. He was filled with Christ. He was chosen to bear Christ and convey Christ to all the nations. And also, we as believers are chosen vessels, and we're here to bear Christ, to convey Christ, to minister Christ to all of those around us. We have to realize the enemy wants to shorten our life. The Lord wants us to live a long life so that we can bear him to the people around us. So the Lord, just as he protected Paul, he will protect us, he will guard us so that we can live a long life for his economy. Chris, I would just like to conclude by reading another note from from this precious study Bible, the recovery version, which I think answers this question about how the Lord is motivated to guard the testimony of his economy. This is from Acts 23, verse 10, and this is, this is a note on verse 10 of Acts 23. It says this, This was the Lord's sovereignty exercised to rescue Paul from the hand of the Jews. Through the riot of the Jews in Jerusalem, God delivered Paul out of the predicament into which he fell when he took James's compromising proposal and participated in the Nazarite vow. Now through the commander of the Roman cohort, God in his sovereignty again rescued Paul, this time from the hand of the rioting Jews who had attempted to kill him, that he might separate him from all the dangerous situations and entrapments and send him to a quiet prison. This was to afford him a quiet environment and give him time, whether in Caesarea or in the city of Rome, that through his last epistles he might release exhaustively to the church throughout the generations the revelation of the mystery of God's New Testament economy that he received from the Lord. The benefit and profit that the church throughout the generations has received from these epistles will take eternity to measure. This is a marvelous note, Chris. The Lord exercised his sovereign care and control over the environment 
to protect Paul from the opposers who wanted to kill him, to prolong Paul's days on this earth so that Paul could write his last eight epistles in the New Testament, which are a marvelous and rich unveiling of God's heart's desire, of God's eternal purpose, of God's eternal economy to dispense himself in Christ as the Spirit into his chosen and redeemed people so that his chosen and redeemed people can be filled with the unsearchable riches of Christ to express Christ forever and ever. Paul was an apostle. He was preaching Christ everywhere. But actually, the most crucial part of Paul's life was when he was in prison, when seemingly he was the most limited. What could Paul do in this situation? Well, here's what he could do. He could write letters. And those letters became a marvelous revelation of God's heart's desire, focused on Christ himself, experienced and enjoyed by the believers so that they can be Christ's universal expression forever and ever as the new Jerusalem. This is marvelous. This shows us how the Lord is very motivated to guard the testimony of his economy for the accomplishment of his heart's desire. Ed, I liked something you said very much, that Paul was chosen, selected, called for this purpose. And we have been chosen, selected, and called, not just to go to heaven, not just to be saved, but really to bear the testimony of Christ and to bring the riches of this life to all those around us. The Lord will exercise his sovereignty to the utmost to go before and to guard and even protect us. Yes, that's right, Chris. We need to realize that no matter what our environment, the Lord is involved to care for us and protect us so that we can live and magnify him in that environment for the dispensing of him into people for the accomplishment of his purpose. Ed, this was very good fellowship. I really enjoyed our program today, our time together. Come back again. We'll do this uh, as soon as we can again. Yeah, Chris, I'm looking forward to the next broadcast. Thank you very much. We have the Life Study message that accompanies our broadcast today, and this message has been bound in volume number four of the Life Study of Acts. We invite you to call us for that, get more information, and our toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 543-3788. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. Or you can reach us by sending email to radio at lsm.org. We'll be back with more fellowship, and we hope that you'll join us then. Today, for Ed Marks, I'm Chris Wilde, and thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee spent seven decades in the 20th century speaking Christ, first in Asia and then North America, eventually all over the world. The culmination of those 70 years of ministry was his life study of the Bible, an exhaustive exposition of the entire scriptures. This unique commentary focuses on how Christ can be life to man in an experiential and practical way. These programs encapsulate Witnessly speaking in just 26 minutes. But to get the complete riches, visit lifestudy.com. From there, you can read all of the Life Study messages in their entirety, 
or download any of our more than 1,700 audio programs at no cost. Again, that website is lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.